Happy Friday, Tawny. Happy Friday, Tavis. So here we are back with our third episode. And this is like a really exciting one, isn't it? It is. Um, What's exciting? A few different things have happened. We've landed on a name. We finally landed on a name. It was like this big thing back and forth. But yes, we have a name. I feel like we probably went through like four, like three or four really solid choices. And they were, yeah, that that was was the thing is they were really solid choices, which is why, but, but none of them felt right. There wasn't that magic like, oh, that's it. Right. Or they, they actually were a lot more commonplace than we realized. Yes. And, you know, when you're dealing with a $10,000 web domain, then you yeah. know that you've got something that's kind of common and, and high value. Right. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is that um, we just got onto iTunes. Yes. we This this podcast is now available on pretty much, I think, if if not at the moment, like will shortly be available on all the main podcast platforms. So like, like whatever Google uses and right. it's, it's on Spotify and yeah, Apple yeah. Podcasts. So it's like this little thing, the little the little podcast that could. So, uh, Tavis, if someone wanted to find our podcast, what should they search up? Mm, so then, this is this is the name announcement, which is actually very apropos because this episode is the, all about language, indeed, and why language matters. So it seemed very fitting that on the language episode we share the language choice for our. Um, podcast. So and before you say the name, I just want to give you some insight into Tavis's process for this name. <laughs> he had a list of about, I don't know what, 20 or 30 different yeah. synonyms. Yeah. So, it was kind of like that goodwill hunting thing of just like, <laughs> like just a messy piece of paper with just like scribble scrabble all over. It. Right. Right. But we got, we, we found the golden nugget. So we what did. is it? Tavis? So the name of our podcast is Musings Beyond the Grade Book. Because we muse when we sit here and talk. And what we're talking about is more than just, you know, grades and classroom. I mean, that's not to say that we won't, you know, touch on on instructional practices and things like that. But that's not really the heart and the core of, of the kind of conversations that we tend to have and that we want to showcase on this podcast. Right. Well, I think we get into a lot of the stuff that happens when you're mentored or when you have an apprenticeship. Like things you learn on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, through just reflecting on what you're doing. Yes. So um, you can you can find the, a quick way to find this podcast is from its direct website. Um, we're using Anchor to um, to produce this. So if you go to Anchor.fm/slash/musingsbeyondthegradebook, um, it'll take you right there, and you can subscribe from there. Um, or of course, if you just search up the name on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. And then you can subscribe to the RSS feed. And when we put out new episodes, which has been like every couple of weeks now, then right, it'll right. just send you a notification that there's a new episode waiting. It's very exciting. So um, we I already mentioned the title right. of this episode. No, sorry, of the episode, right? We're, it's Why Language Matters. Why Language Matters. And this matters. is going to be a two-parter because mm-hmm. we're really trying to keep the time um, as I'm looking at, we're already three minutes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to try to really keep this short and, and bite-sized. So... Today we're going to be talking about the um, the playful nature in which language can be used in the classroom. Right, and the positive effects it can have and when you choose your words wisely um, for just different parts of your classroom life. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, and then next you'll find out what we where we take this in the next one. I don't think right. we need to give them any previews. But um, in the spirit of, of playful language, um, do you want to hear a joke? 
I would love to hear a joke. Okay, this is probably my favorite clean joke that I've heard. And, and, it, and it was a student who told me this. I, I saw him the other day, he's walking, and he's, I couldn't really hear him because he was wearing a mask. And Mr. Dennis, do you want to hear a joke? And sure. What do you call a gnome who can read minds and escaped prison? I don't know. A small medium at large. <laughs> a small medium. Large. Wait, a, a kid told you this? Yes. A student told you yes. this? Yes. Yes. This is fabulous. A I'm, small, medium, and, 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 and like a, a, a fourth grader? I think he's in fourth grade now because he was in third grade last year. Now that's a kid who appreciates language. Yes, for sure. Well, his dad's <laughs> a lawyer, so maybe that's why. Oh, man. Well, um, I brought a quote today, and you know, just to go off of language, that is, is kind of one of my like life guiding quotes. And it comes from a wonderful story. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, Harry Potter. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know Tawny, she is all things Harry Potter. It's true. It's just, I, and, I always... you, and USC. So like, I'm never really sure, like right at the moment right now, she's wearing USC gear and it's like first glance, you're not, Look Oh, she's got, she's got Gryffindor shoes on. But yeah. it's kind of, they're kind of interchangeable because the colors are the same. Exactly. Well, you have to be in the right house. I'm in Gryffindor. That's true. So it goes with, with USC. So um, what quote did you find from so Harry Potter about language? This is Dumbledore. And he says, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting pain and remedying it. Oh, I love that. I do too. Because words really are, as us muggles or non-magic folks, for those of you who don't know Harry Potter, Words are a place of magic for us. We create things, we destroy things, we heal things. Well, and that's kind of today we're going to be talking about the the remedying component of word and language use, right? The, how, how it makes it positive. I found a quote as well that I really like that's oddly similar to that. And it makes me kind of wonder if this is where J.K. Rowling sort of pulled, like adapted the quote that I found to give it to Dumbledore. Yeah. Because um, mine's from Rudyard Kipling the very well-known author of Jungle Book and, and mm -hmm. many other stories. And the quote I found is, words are, of course, the most powerful drug used by mankind. And I, I like that because, you know, if you think about like the, the, the purpose of a drug can either be positive or negative. It can, right. it can treat symptoms and, and help someone or it can really damage someone and cause them to, to spiral. And so it's kind of like the, you know, the double-edged sword. Right. Like we, they wield, we wield great power with the words that we, we choose. And arguably the power we wield is um, even more important when there's authority that's involved. Oh, yes. As teachers. Mm -hmm. Well, in any authority, but the way that we're talking, we're talking specifically about right. the classroom. And in, in a classroom, yeah, the teacher is the authority. Right. So you're, you set the example for the way you want language to be used. You um, model it. And then also you are, you're the person all the eyes are on or ears are on, so to speak, in what you choose. So, um, Tavis, what are some ways that you found language has, has really had a positive impact on your classroom? Well, I mean, the, the sort of the go-to example that I think most of our listeners and anyone who's been in education has probably come across at some point was just like the um, like behavior specific praise. Like, like not just saying mm. good job, but, but praising a specific, you know, use of a skill or overcoming an obstacle 
Um, it's so easy to just be like, hey, great, good job. You did a really, but it's so general, it's so generic. And, and often the student doesn't really know what they're being praised for. Right. Was it how their handwriting looked? Was it how they structured their writing? Was it the idea that they had? And so then it's hard to then expect that student to continue to do that thing that they don't know that they just did. <laughs> and it's so interesting that a lot of the times as teachers, we make this assumption that they know what we're talking about when we say good job. When in fact, like even within praise, you are still a teacher. You yes. are still helping them understand what your words mean and why they apply to them, why they need to be internalized. Um, and oftentimes with that praise, I've found if I actually, because there's a lot of pressure I feel sometimes, especially as a language arts teacher, um, to give feedback. I found that when I shy away from the good job or I'm so proud of you, and not that those things are bad to say, but I've seen students light up more when I simply state what they've done. I literally say- You mean without any evaluation or yes. judgment? So like, give me an example. Like. The use of your transitions to introduce your explanation of your textual evidence helps the reader understand where you're going with your argument. Oh, yeah. That's good feedback. That's really good feedback. Yeah. They know what they need so to keep doing. So specific, too. Yeah. And it, it reinforces what you've taught. Yes. Presumably, right? Right. <laughs> or that they, that they the student would have been taught in a previous year or something. Exactly. Ah, So not only is it beneficial to the student, but it actually improves the quality of the feedback that you give. Right. I mean, have you had that situation on like Google Classroom and you're giving comments where you just feel like you're writing the same thing over and over? I mean, that's why they have that comments bank, I'm sure. But right. the quality of your comments, you can still use the same for multiple kids as long as it's specific. Exactly. Well, and that's like, especially as a language arts teacher, um, but I think this works across a lot of subjects is that's why the use of a rubric when you grade mm -hmm. is a really great tool to use because you're using specific language you would never put in a rubric great job under like exceeds expectations you right know? <laughs> yes that's yeah that's i hadn't thought about that so you know if we are going to use rubrics um that give that kind of specific feedback why can't we do that verbally as well that's i hadn't thought of that before to give verbal feedback as if it was on a rubric how about um you know, the, the, the other kind of example that I think might be somewhat familiar to, and we'll get into some more playful examples too, but you, I, I, I'm making connections as a parent here as well, because mm. you and I are both parents, is phrasing expectations in the positive rather than, like rather than saying, don't talk, like to tell students what you want them to do, because our brains are more receptive to things being positive. When you tell someone not to do something, it kind of makes him want to do it. <laughs> right. So my son is three. And um, I remember reading an article about just language with toddlers. And this brilliant woman um, started talking or was writing about how just exactly what you said, Tavis, when you tell a three-year-old not to jump on the couch, all they hear is jump on the couch, jump on the couch. And instead she um, advise that you phrase what you want them to do, which can be frustrating in the moment because the first thing I see when Nathan's jumping on the couch is like, stop, yeah. don't do it. Um, but instead I've, and this takes practice, but with practice, you get better at this skill. Um, but it took a while for me to stop and say, what do I really want him to do? I want him to get off the couch. I want his 
but I need to make sure the language is in, in a friendly approach that he understands. So I came up with, Hey, Nathan, buddy, let's put our feet on the floor. Mm. Yeah. And as soon as I switched over to using that kind of language, he would say, okay, mommy. And got down. I mean, not every time, but I would say it changed the way I started talking to my toddler. And then it got me thinking about, well, if a three-year-old responds to that, how can I use that in my classroom as well? Mm -hmm. You know? And so there's, there's moments where, you know, as a teacher, we see something that we want to correct. And the easiest, most accessible way to do that often is just like, don't do this or stop doing that. But in fact, if you think about it, you're now giving students two things to process versus one, what oh. they should not be doing. Mm -hmm. And now they have and to they have move to figure on. out what then, then if I'm not doing that, then what am I supposed to? And that's kind of implied. Right. It's not even explicit. Like, right. you just, again, we assume. We're assuming. Yeah. And so why not just streamline the process and tell them what we want them to do? I'm realizing in my classroom, um, I, instead of saying, I, I, I don't, maybe this is intentional. I hope I certainly, sure it was intentional. I'm going to take credit for it being intentional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like instead of like, we have agreements that we make when, 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 when we share, we do a morning circle, um, like during our community morning time. And, uh, one of the agreements is, is about respecting the speaker. And I always, when I describe that, I, I never say don't talk when someone's talking, Instead, I say, it's when someone else is talking, it's our responsibility to listen. And, yes. And then it's, that it's also not saying like, like when it's our it's phrasing as though this is a response, this is a collective responsibility that we have. It's kind of, it kind of levels the playing field. Everyone has the same responsibility here. We're in this together and we need, our responsibility is to listen to the single person who's speaking. Right. Well, and arguably you've given, you've given your students a job versus like in a moment where they might get squirrely and and all they hear was don't talk or you know they're having a moment of struggling to, to focus or pay attention mm -hmm. but when you rephrase it to what they can do not what they can't do suddenly they can lean into what responsibility is and, and knowing you i definitely know you've taught like what responsibility means how it affects classroom we we spend some time unpacking that yes for sure. <laughs> And so there's now they they are empowered and what you're empowering them to do benefits your classroom. So these we've been so far kind of on on like level one of language use, which is, you know, I, I don't expect this to be very new to, to, to right. many. I mean, you know, we've heard that it, and we're, we're revisiting what people have probably, you know, heard for years or encountered in whatever you know credential program they went through. But how about like level two where. And I think this is where we kind of enjoy. Now like, to the fun stuff. The fun stuff. <laughs> the playful qualities of language. You have a really great story that just is a, we'll just kind of kick this off, I think. Yes. So um, a few years ago, I noticed that my lost and found bin in my classroom was just overflowing and it was ridiculous. And my my classroom was so far away from the office, so taking it down there was frustrating. And Because it, it wasn't being utilized the way it was exactly. supposed to, right? People I, weren't looking for stuff in the lost and found bin. They ignored it. And it didn't matter where I placed the bin. It didn't matter how yeah. many reminders that I was like, oh, check the bin on the way or check the lost and the found lot, on the right. way out. So I just decided, like, what if I renamed it? And what if I made it really silly or like almost even, 
I would say silly prestigious. Is that even a feel? Is that is that a tone you can go for? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was I was thinking like irreverent almost. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So instead, I like made a sign and I laminated it and I put it on my bin, and I called it the bin of discarded items. <laughs> That's so much cooler than the lost and found. <laughs> yes. And I would say it that way too. And I remember the first day I introduced it, I was like, all right, guys, I've got something new to show you. Um, and I just put the basket up on my desk. I'm like, this is the bit of discarded items that you will all check before <laughs> you leave. And they thought it was hilarious. And of course, that first day, they all checked it, right? Because it's this new fun thing. And they all really enjoyed trying to imitate my my little accent, the bin of discarded items. And, and I thought, well, that was day one. There's hype around it. But then it just kept going. And they would say it to each other. Hey, you know, someone would say, I lost my pencil. And someone would be like, is it in the bin of discarded items? And it just became this joke all year that had purpose. And it was so much fun. Well, it, I think it's, it shouldn't be overlooked that part of what made that successful was, yes, the language change, but you also sold it <laughs> and you had fun with it. I, did. I mean, even just the way that you said it and like, so it, yes, language is important, but it also, there's this caveat that you got to sell it as well. Right. You have to scaffold it. We scaffold our, our lessons, yeah. right? Why wouldn't we scaffold the, the way we play with language? Well, yeah. it, I don't think it's a, a big secret that we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Um, and for our specific district, we have, we're on a hybrid model. So we have half of our kids at, at a time. So very small class sizes and they got rid of the tables and they put desks in our room. And so as much as desks kind of make me ang anxious and feel as though we've, <laughs> we've taken steps back in education, um, having students at desks where it's not as collaborative, I, I understand the, the need for them at the moment. And the nice thing about desks is that they al allow for different formations. And so in my class, um, I've tried having fun with just what I call some of the formations. So like right now, my discs are in kind of a circle formation. And so, so we call that circled, the wa circled wagons. And I'll, I'll say, circle the wagons. And then there's another formation where like part of the, if you can imagine the circle, like part of the circle kind of caving in on itself and becoming like, like two concentric half circles. Um, that's like, it's like a double rainbow kind of. Um, that they get into that formation when I say forward ho. <laughs> so much like you, I'm like kind of playing with the way that it sounds and mm -hmm. you know, they scoot their little desks around my, uh, one of the other fifth grade teachers, he's had some really fun formations as well that he came up with his class. Like when, when the two, when he creates two rows that face each other, that with space in between, he calls that the 11th parallel because <laughs> it like they're parallel and it looks like the number 11. <laughs> That sounds like a sci-fi book. It sounds so cool. Oh yeah, the 11th parallel. Right. He also has the eye of power. And I think that's when it's just like one <laughs> row in the center, like the letter I, I don't really know what he uses that for, but, and that's just another example of, of kind of the fun, playful qualities that, that you can, they're, just how much fun you can have with language and how it can really just help to season your classroom. Yeah. Well, it builds community because mm. if anyone else walked right. into your classroom or the other fifth grade teacher's classroom and they heard, you know, forward ho or whatever it is, like they would be totally lost about what's happening. <laughs> and it's almost like this secret society of like, oh, we know what that means. We got this, you know, and there's this 
this element of like belonging to this playful language that you know how to use. And like, that's where you see them starting to use it. Like with my bin of discarded items, they started using it. Um, so I really think as, as fun as it is, you're inviting them to be a member of the community. And that's an easy access point. It doesn't take any academic skill. It doesn't take any, like not any real social skill either. Not, you right. can play with the language you're in. That's true. So I was in your, I was observing in your classroom the other day and a kid came up to you and said something and you, you responded in a way that I think if, if I didn't know you and know how much you care about students, I might be kind of concerned. <laughs> um, you, you, you told the kid to like, they asked for help and you said, go away. Kind of like that. Is, is go, that away. go away. <laughs> and you sort of like shush them off with your hand. So <laughs> I did. What's the, what's the deal with that? All right. So I just want to preface this example of playful language because it is truly playful but it's actually very i mean it's it's positive discipline it redirects students and you can't do something like that without teaching them first what it means and so essentially what that means to a student is you've missed my directions or the information you're looking for is clearly posted in the classroom somewhere you don't need me to solve you don't this need me go yeah go take the initiative to critically think and solve your own problem um but instead of saying that every single time <laughs> because that is like a waste of everybody's life yep. and my vocal cords um i say go away and i teach a lesson on what that means and we talk about what it means to take the initiative and we talk about what resources in the classroom do you have to find your own answers we talk about what is, you know, that the common saying three before me, mm -hmm. right? Go find three friends who could help you before, before you come you ask me. me. Yeah. And so it kind of saves time for everybody's life, the students, mine, um, and it gives them a chance to kind of, you know, test drive their their maturity skills and their inquiry skills and, and a whole slew of things. But it's very fun. And like the kid doesn't feel um, chastised because it's a very silly moment. And you, because you've made it very clear what it. Yes, yeah. it's it's not a mark on them. It's just like, hey, man, I think you can go figure that out yourself. Um, and they'll say it to each other now, too. Like when do they say it like that. They do. <laughs> or and now every time when I start giving directions what, for an what, assignment, who are you impersonating there? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I just like you sound like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, I do. That's kind of that's, that's what I was wondering if you were doing. But... No, I mean maybe <laughs> subconsciously that's where it came from. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, that's that's something we do now. And, and in fact, just one more thing about this is there was there have been times where kids have come up and started asking about directions and they'll be like, oh, I think this might be where you tell me to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm oh, like, oh, I love that. And then I just nod just my like, head. Yes. Teacher win. Yeah. One for Tawny. That's yep. And then awesome. they're like, OK, I'll go try and find it. And it's problem solved. And I haven't said a word in that moment. <sighs> so. I right. just kind of shake You're just my head. smiling and mm -hmm. beaming with pride. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like I learned so much from other teachers. Um, I, I love being able to, I don't know. I, I love having 
fantastic colleagues that from whom I can learn from. And and I remember early in my my teaching career, my first year of teaching actually, there was a I was teaching sixth grade. There was a fourth grade teacher who did this thing that I thought was really cool at the time. And I wasn't really sure why I thought it cool. It was cool. But now as we're talking, I'm realizing, oh, she was playing with language in, in kind of a, a similar way. But in a, in a, this is a specific way to do it that we haven't brought up. And it's that she would build such deep relationships and, and such a solid understanding of each of her students that, that over the course of the year, each of her fourth graders were sort of bestowed a nickname by her. Hmm. And there was inevitably a story or a reason behind it. And I kind of discovered this because when they came into sixth grade, I was a new teacher at a new school. Like I was taking role and some of them were like, you know, oh yeah, my name's Emily, but, but people call me Scrunch. And I was like, Scrunch? <laughs> and like, yeah, we, we all call her Scrunch. And I'm like, oh, and she's okay with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 got, I got that from, uh, you know, from, from fourth grade. And I, I, could, I could say, why? Oh, well, because, and then I had this immediate point of entry with her, with the student. Um, there's and other... the other students knew the story as well? Yes, because they were part of that class. They were in that, that community. That community. And it was like, you know, so special when they got bestowed their nickname. And it, it was a K-8, so they kept it all the way through that school because of this one teacher. <laughs> I just thought it was like, so cool. I've always wanted to do that. Maybe this will be the year that I, that I try to do that. And, you know, just this isn't language, but I, I already see where you kind of do that. And I feel like the switch over to nicknames would be easy for you. Um, for those of you do, who don't know, in, in non-COVID years, Tavis comes up with a handshake for every single one of his oh, kids. Man. Yeah, and each right. one is very different. And like, I, I don't know. Talk about your process. How long does that take? How do you remember all of those? Um, well, first of all, I'm not going to take credit for that. I think I saw that on like Pinterest or something. And I was like, that's cool. I can do that. But you do it. That's what's awesome. I think at the beginning of the school year, like I just say like, hey, listen, the most important part of each day is, is that quick exchange that we have before we enter the classroom, because that's where you and I are both just human beings. And I haven't put on my teacher hat and you haven't put on your student hat. So I would like there to be some exchange that we have. It can be a high five. It can be a fist bump. It can be some sort of a dance. It can be as simple or um, complex as you'd like it to be. But your homework tonight is like first day of school homework is come up with a handshake. And yes, it's clunky and it takes me a week or two to remember them all. Um, but it's also kind of fun. It's so much fun. It's not language though, but you're, you're, you're right. But, but yeah. In this year of crazy 2020, where we're not even allowed to like hand out pencils yeah, to them, what a great switch for you. The oh, nicknames. the nicknames. Yeah. Oh, man, that's true. I like that. I might run with that. Yeah. Well, there was one other example from from my from colleagues that I've had in my past. It, 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 uh, not this school, but a previous school. There was this amazing team of seventh grade teachers. And they, it was just two seventh grade teachers, one taught language arts and social studies, one taught math and science. And they, you know, they shared the same group of kids that would go back and forth between their classes. And they would, they would watch the groups of kids coming up the pipeline, you know, like, it, like as fifth graders, as sixth graders, knowing that they were headed their way. And they'd be, they were very observant of what the group dynamics were. And then they would spend the first couple of weeks also observing the, the, the group. And they would, rather than bestow individual nicknames, they would bestow a collective name of that group of students. 
that was justified by their observations. So like one of them was, for instance, um, there was a group that I remember they described as, as being very, everyone was so different, but very compatible um, in what they offered. And so they named them Orchestra Seven. It was always something seven because they were seventh graders. Right. Because they kind of operated like an orchestra. And then they have this, they would unpack with them. What is an orchestra? And what are different instruments in the orchestra? And how some of them are really high and some of them are really low and some are loud and soft and some are, you know, more dynamic than others. And what instrument are you in this orchestra? What do you contribute? Oh my gosh. Before you go on, like, I just want to unpack that right there. As a teacher, how much you have to draw from that? Because well, not that's only the thing. It gives you so much yes, to leverage. It's not just um, you, you build community. You give each one of them a purpose to be there. They belong, and that that classroom or that that group of kids may be the only place in that kid's life where they feel like I have a purpose here. Well, like, and it should be noted, like this was a straight up Title I school. Oh. Like the student population was the most needy. I mean, you yes. know, many students had like siblings that were involved in gangs. I mean, this was this was an urban Los Angeles yeah. school. And then also just the the classroom management behavior system that's built into this understanding. What happens when an instrument's out of tune? What happens when Ooh, you play the wrong notes? Oh my what? gosh. I didn't even, that's, I mean, I, I imagine this, this team was so fantastic and amazing. I'm sure that they did that, but I, I hadn't even thought about that. Well, so just a few other examples of like, I one year it was, uh, they were studio seven. Mm. And so then they talked about like, what, what is a studio? Where have you seen or encountered or been in studios and what occurs in a studio? Um, laboratory seven. Um, I just thought that That's was cool. so cool. I mean, you, I, we've mentioned that we're on this cohort system. Early on, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to call them the AM group and the PM group. <laughs> like, let's come up with some <laughs> that is fun not names. Playful. No, so you know they they voted each group, and now I've got the morning glories and the awesome vibes. And <laughs> it's awesome. a, it's yeah, I mean it's it's not quite as profound as like you know the, the examples that I just, orchestra seven <laughs> right, but. It does give them a, a sense of identity and 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 it's playful and it's fun. And right. goodness gracious, 2020 needs a little fun. <laughs> needs a little fun. Absolutely. So another example of playing with language that becomes really profound and useful inside the classroom is classroom jobs. And I'm sure a lot, a lot of teachers use classroom jobs, right? Like mm -hmm. who's gonna, you know, help pick up trash on the floor, who's gonna put away the markers, stuff right. like this, right? Things that help our lives. Uh, yeah, go. That's, that's a great teacher hack. <laughs> yes. If you don't have classroom jobs, I, get on I them now. Like its own episode. Yeah. Right. Um, but we do this in, so in sixth grade social studies, there's a unit on um, Neolithic people when we start to discover community, ironically, like, uh, like yes. what happens when we come together as a community and, you know, suddenly the, the invention of the job comes up, right? Because people have more time to specialize in work and they're not having to hunt and gather. They have extra time and someone else is taking care of food. And and so I took these, these takeaways from this Neolithic unit and we started applying them to our own classroom. What happens when we start acting like a Neolithic community who specializes in jobs to care for mm. our classroom? And so... It's um, a great way to just also just bring in academic content. Yes, <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's cool because they get super excited to take what they've learned from, yeah, from this unit and see how it works in our own lives. And so we, I really emphasize like the creation of the job 
And so they come up with a list of all the different jobs that we would need in this classroom. And I kind of give them a little guilt trip. Like it's always, it's less than three. So it's fairly near the beginning of the year. And I'm like, guys, I'm so tired. I can't clean the floor by myself anymore. And I can't put your stuff. Like we, I know you forget <laughs> pencils and that's not a bad thing. I just can't do it Again, anymore. You're selling it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just naming what, what you're saying. You, yes. you are selling this. It's not just, okay, let's come up with fun names for jobs. Right. I mean, part of teaching is kind of theatrics, right? On some level. Preaching to the choir. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know that more than, than anyone for sure. Um, so after this huge list that they come up with, um, they all choose what job that they would like to write a job description for. Mm. And we talk about, and it always organically comes up like, well, how many people would we need to make sure the floor is clean? What, how many people do we need to move furniture back and so forth and so on? And we negotiate all of these things. And then part of their job description, um, besides like, when do you do your job? Where, how, and the first thing on the job description is what is your name? And we talk about how your job, if, if you are the floor monitors, which sounds pretty generic, mm -hmm. there can be a connotation of, well, that kind of sucks, right. right? I pick up trash, yeah, you know? And so we talked about like, but that is a need in this classroom. Like imagine if everyone ignored the floor, Right. It would be horrible and we would not feel comfortable in our classroom. So they started coming up with these incredibly fun names. And like just to go with the floor example, like one year a team called themselves the Hoovers, you know, <laughs> that is awesome. And so it was just one more moment where there was pride in what they do instead of shame. And they were excited to pick up trash from the floor because they knew it had purpose and they got a really cool name. Yeah, because the, there's not, like you said, there's connotations that certain existing labels and, and things. And, well, and this is actually kind of segueing into what part two is going to be about. Right. Where we talk about the potentially harmful effects that language can have by referring to something in a way that, that kind of taps into some of those negative connotations. Right. Um, so that's kind of a, a great... I, I love the jobs thing, the Hoovers. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done that with jobs in my class, not quite as as creative. I don't even think I have, well, like I have a fish tank. And like, I think my kids decided to call the person who feeds the fish, like the, the marine biologist one year. I mean, <laughs> not that the fish feeder is bad or undesired. That's actually a very high value job to, to, to feed the fish. Very, like it's a sort of- coveted. <laughs> yeah, but it's also just more fun to call them a marine biologist. Absolutely. Or the botanist who takes care of the plant instead of the plant water. And what a great way to bring in some like science academic vocabulary. Well, and those are actual jobs in real life yes. too, right? <laughs> I mean, if we're going to give them, a, if our classroom is supposed to be giving them a glimpse of what it means to be an adult, you know, that's- giving them a way to be playful with it is, mm -hmm. is where they're at. Like kids are, they're innately playful and like, no, I I've never come across a kid who doesn't want to join in to the community of playful words. There might be a kid or two who at first is like, ah, whatever. But, but it's not because they don't want to join. It's because they're, there's something else happening. There's something else yeah. happening. And always, you know, it'll t maybe take a little bit of time, but they buy into the lingo. So, so, to sort of summarize, play with language. Yes, play have with language. like think, think about what you could rename in your classroom. Is there a routine? Is there an 
object. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could even start re referring to pencils as like, you know, swords of literacy or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. like take out your swords of literacy. Swords of literacy. What do you, what does that call? What do you call it? A when sheath. you're like, yeah. Well, oh, when, unsheath. Unsheath, unsheath yeah. your sword of literacy. Yeah. Everything sounds better with a British accent. Totally. Um, <laughs> so just see what happens when you, when you, and, and, now that we've got this fancy platform for this, if you go to anchor.fm slash musings beyond the grade book, you can actually leave us like audio messages on there. Yeah. What have you done in your classroom? Have you played with language? I'm sure like, that I'm sure that there's people listening who have like great examples that have not yeah. crossed our mind. Right. I want to try them. Please let me yeah, know. <laughs> exactly. We're being very selfish right now. And then just the, one final thought. If you do play with language, specifically if you want to use it as kind of like a positive redirection, make sure you teach what it means before you just kind of start throwing it out there. Um, not all playful language needs some prefacing, but some of it does, like go away. So, all right. Well, um, next week we'll we'll continue to talk, or next week, uh, next next episode, next episode, whenever it is, we'll, we'll start to venture into the the other side of this coin. Um, but in the meantime, um, subscribe to us. Like, ah! I it's it's so weird to say. Like, that's a new word in our vocabulary. It really is. It feels so strange to say. So find us on Spotify on. Uh, Apple Podcasts, um, I don't even remember all the others. Um, hit subscribe, send us a message. Um, probably the best way is, is through the Anchor app. Um, yeah. It'd be cool to experience how those little audio messages work. And um, we'll see you next time for more Musings Beyond the Grave Book, <laughs> which is kind of a fun play of language too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh, it's a perfect way to end this episode. I really appreciate you. <laughs>